All right, so let's start reading again in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so let's stop there. Last, last week we covered Paul, a bondservant of Christ, and we talked about how a bondservant is someone who willingly enslaves himself or herself to somebody. So a slave was someone who was a slave against their will. A bond slave, or it could be translated a bond servant or a bond slave, was someone who willingly gave of their life to serve this individual. And I was, the reason, we, we talked about this last week, but this week it just hit me again. I was speaking with a woman whom some of you have met, but maybe you didn't know what her job is. She, she doesn't live in this state anymore, but her job is to to uh, um, go and receive children that have been, have been uh, um, taken in the sex trade around the world. And everywhere, every, her, the ages that she works with is from, from newborn to the age of 20. But mainly they'll call her in for young children. And she'll travel around the world and go into these places and get these young children and bring them to a place of safety. And they have a place of safety for them. And they try to find their parents. If they're unable to find their parents, they, they bring them up. And it's a very dangerous job. Several people around her have been killed over the years. And she just called me yesterday. And I said to her, thank you for the work that you do. Uh, and and uh, um, just to give you an idea, she is older than me. And she travels all over the world to receive these children. And the way they get them is they buy them. They're sold in the sex trade. And... They buy them, and then she takes them to a place of safety. And uh, um, when it's found out that they're buying them to take them to safety, then their lives become in danger. And when I told her, I said, thank you for all this work that you do, she said to me, this is my joy. It is my joy to serve Jesus. It's my joy. She says, when you know the Lord, it's just so wonderful. You do this, you don't even worry about your life. Your life is given to the Lord. And it really hit me. This is exactly what it is. You're a bond slave to Jesus Christ. When he saves us, we go from slavery to sin, slavery to the devil, to a place of freedom. And then as he encourages us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, now submit yourself as like a bond slave to Christ. He doesn't force us into this bond slave position. We go to freedom. This is something we do by choice. It is something out of love. And I'm telling you, as you just get to know Jesus, as you know him, it's like, yes, I will do this. My service is about you. It's all about you. I live to serve you. I live at the pleasure of my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the pleasure of my master, the Lord Jesus. And it turns everything around. A bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. Paul knew his calling. Apostleship was one of the 19 gifts of the, 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 the Spirit that are mentioned. If you count them totally, there's 19 of them in the New Testament. And it's one of the 19. He knew his calling. We don't always know our calling at the beginning. 
And I've told this story before, but I tell it again because <clears throat> it's worth telling. I didn't know what my role was in the body of Christ when I first became a believer and started becoming a, a, a member of a local church. And, and the first job I had was at a convocation. I, they, they asked for a show of hands who could help in the nursery. So I was just a young college guy. I thought, how hard could it be? You know, just working with kids. I mean, what's the problem? So I raised my hand. And so I ended up in the nursery and I was the only person who raised my hand. So here with this Christian conference, and I'm alone in the nursery. And I'm sitting there. I don't know the first thing. I, don't, I know nothing about taking care of kids. I'm the youngest of the three children in my family. I don't know anything about taking care of kids. I'd never changed a diaper, nothing. So I'm sitting there, and a woman comes in holding her little kid. And, uh, and I said, yeah, this is the nursery. And she looks at me. She looks around. And he says, she says, I think I'll just hold her. And she laughed. <laughs> All right. And then another lady came in, and her daughter was asleep. So there was a, there was a bed there, a little, little uh, 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 like a couch, and, and so she put her daughter there, and, uh, and she, she left. And I didn't want the little kid to roll off, so I, there, was a, there was a cabinet, and I pushed it up against the other side of the couch just to keep her from rolling off, which I thought was a good idea. Then about five minutes later, that same mother came back. Now, I know why she came back. I didn't know at the time, but after being a parent now, I know why she came back. Like, what have I done? I just left my, my daughter with this, this, uh, this college student. And, and so, anyway, so she came back, and I had, the daughter was all boxed in. And she looked. I said, I didn't want her to roll off. She said, oh, that's good. And so she sat there, and we just talked and got to know each other. Well, anyway, that woman ended up becoming my sister-in-law and that little girl my niece because the woman that I eventually married who was not even yet in this country was that woman's sister was my wife's sister-in-law was that woman so anyway I knew that I was not made for the nursery but I tried it you have to try many things a lot of times to know what God is going to be calling you to in service in the body of Christ a lot of times people say, I, I don't know what I should do. Well, do something. There are many roles in, in the church. You can work with youth. You can, and, I, and I guarantee you, in this church, you will not be left alone in the nursery. Right? If you choose to work in the nursery, you'll have people there who know what they're doing. You can work with youth. You can work on Wednesday nights. You can work on Sunday mornings. And it's through service that you begin to learn. I remember the, the first time we, we were having a Bible study, I, I said to a guy, we'll have a Bible study in the uh, uh, glass-blowing shop in the chemistry department. In the, in, in, uh, it was with the glass blower, And I started having a little Bible study with him, and he really liked it. And then other people started joining us. And so I started noticing that when I was teaching the Bible, people would come. It's in serving that we learn our gift. It's in serving that we learn our gift. It's not always on the road to Damascus where we get hit with a bolt of lightning and, and then a man comes and prays for us so that we can receive our sight. And we, we are then taught by the Lord for 14 years and we learn that, what our gifting is. Very often we learn our gifting through service. We learn what our gifts are through service. Now, you know, generally you will end up being good at the thing you're called to do. So if you, if you think that, that God has given you the, uh, the gift of singing and nobody else agrees, guess what? All right? Usually you're going to be deemed good at it. People are going to 
be blessed by that role in which you're serving. And then you know, you know, you, you begin to, to learn what your role of service is. But it's very important that everybody begins to move toward their role in service. And that may morph over time. In other words, you may end up you know, doing a Bible study and then you start moving into a more pastoral role and all of a sudden you find yourself being a pastor. You say, I, I didn't know that I was a pastor, but you've moved into it because you don't just walk in someday and say, well, I think I'm to be a pastor. <laughs> Nobody's going to receive you. Nobody's going to you know, have you in that job. Uh, this, there's, something, there's things that you move into gradually. But he understood his role in service, and he wasn't ashamed. He says, called as an apostle. He wasn't ashamed of what he was called to do. There are roles of service, but we must be in service. If you don't have an active role, it's not because God doesn't have you for something. It's because you're not looking. I will go so far as to say you're not looking if you don't have an active role. You're not looking for it. Because you find these things through serving. And uh, uh, you find these gifts. And I remember one of the college students came in one day and on a Wednesday night. On a Wednesday night before the pandemic, this place was just buzzing. I mean, they'd, they'd have, they'd have a, a Wednesday night meal. And the guy walked in and he said, I'm here to serve. So they put him in the kitchen washing dishes. He had come to work with the kids. You know, he thought he'd do a wana or something. But he faithfully, week after week, came and did dishes. I said, what are you doing in here? So I'm just doing the dishes. They... I said, but I thought you wanted to work with kids. He says, I do. And so I got him working with the kids, and it just blossomed. I mean, he was just terrific. And he, he ended up finding his wife serving in, in, that, in that way, and now they have like four kids of their own. And so, But he faithfully served where God put him. You work and you serve faithfully where God puts you, and you will be brought up. You will be brought up, and you will, you will be brought into bigger roles as you serve. As Jesus said... He who is faithful in little will be given much. Paul was faithful and he was given much. So he says he was called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This guy was set apart to preach the gospel. He loved the gospel and I have learned so much from him uh, uh, in, in, in preaching the gospel. So a few years ago... so. My, my whole Christian life, I've wanted to share the gospel better. I've wanted to share the gospel more. I really wanted to learn how to do this. And, and uh, I would have, I don't know, one or two, maybe on a good year, three converts a year. And I was so frustrated by this. I wanted to see so many more. And so I started studying the teachings of Charles Spurgeon and George Whitfield, And I started reading their books over and over again. And then learning to meditate on the scriptures that are powerful in evangelism. And if you look at the things that Paul said, you can see what drove him. So here are some of the scriptures that I've learned and memorized and, and committed. And then I've seen a dramatic change. So over the last several years, if I don't see one convert a week, I feel it's been a waste of a week. You see what happens when you take this desire to see people saved and you really start pushing it forward. So here's what Paul says in, first, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. And these, these are among a group of verses that I have memorized and, and taken to heart and that I will often pray for myself. Paul said, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. In 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. 
I will spend any amount that it's going to take that I can afford to share with somebody. I will go to any extent in that if they're in another country and I have to modify my time in order to speak to them over Zoom, I will do whatever it takes to witness the gospel. As soon as somebody reaches out to me, sends me a message, hey, you know, I'll, I'll listen to you because I put up on my website that if anybody wants to hear the gospel, I will share it with you. This is not for the believer to have an extra hour with me. No. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, this is for you. I will spend an hour with you, sharing with you my testimony of Jesus. I've advertised this on my website, on many of my, my, my teachings I've advertised this, and people will occasionally, not occasionally, they'll often contact me. And I'll spend that hour with them, and I would say over 90% of the time, they get saved that very day on that first meeting and I get them into a Bible study. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. You see what drove this man. Another thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Everything I do is for the sake of the gospel. You know, there's this guy who's just, just uh, published a thing uh, talking about, uh, uh, he had a whole video on the agenda of James Tour. You know, I could help them out here. You know what my agenda is? It's to get people saved. That is my agenda. Unabashedly, I want to see people saved. That's my agenda. And so I'm going to have a postscript to a series that I've done talking about my agenda. So nobody has to guess at this thing anymore. I will say it. I want to see people saved. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. When I started taking these verses and making them a part of my life, I started seeing many more conversions. When I started taking what Paul put forth, I will do all things for the sake of the gospel. I will gladly spend and be expended for your souls. When I see my wife, you know, every, every Sunday morning she goes and she goes shopping. And every, every Friday she does shopping to get ready for these meals. And I see it because I've got this, her credit card linked to my phone. I can see my wife moving across town. And, and so I'll often call her. I said, you're near the cleaners. Can you pick up my shirts? <laughs> because I know exactly where she is by, by where that credit card's getting swiped. And, um, and, but the way I deal with this without getting so upset is, is for the cause of the gospel. She doesn't spend on herself. She's always spending for other people. This lady just spends an enormous amount for other people. And if I were not married, I would be so rich, but I would be unhappy. And, and, and uh, uh, but you know, I'm happy but poor because of my wife, because she spends so much on other people. This is her life. She has a list in the morning of people she's going to bless, and that usually involves swiping the credit card, and she, that's what she does. And and uh, uh, but I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. And when I look at it, I say, Lord, this is not mine. This is yours. Then it, my blood pressure goes back down. This is yours. It's up to you, Lord, to take care of this. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Powerful, powerful verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. My heart's desire. I have noticed if I pray for the lost, very few people get saved. If I pray for the lost, I've been doing it my whole life. Pray for the lost. Very few people get saved. That prayer for the lost has to be coupled to my heart's desire. 
It has to be the desire of my heart. I have to burn in my heart to see people saved. That if I go a week without seeing somebody saved, I am running back to the Lord and I say, what did I do wrong this week? What's the matter? I thought we had an agreement. I will speak to whomever. But Lord, people aren't getting saved. What have I done? And then the next week, you give me two or three. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. My heart has to be coupled to the desire. Oh, that my head were waters in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah 9, 1. That's a verse that George Whitfield used to pray. Lord, break my heart for the lost. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And then Charles Spurgeon, who lived a hundred years after George Whitfield, read the writings of George Whitfield and he started praying that prayer. Jeremiah 9.1 Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And then I read the writings of George Whitfield and Charles Spurgeon, and I started praying that same prayer. Lord, break my heart for the lost. And we learn it from the Apostle Paul. That's where we learn this from. This guy's heart was just wrapped around the gospel. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Look at this man's heart, how much he wanted to see people saved. He says, I am telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience, te- my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. All right, so he's trying to set the stage. He says, this is not hyperbole here. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. No hyperbole. He set the stage. Okay, what is it? He tells us, verse 2, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. He wanted so badly for his brethren, the the Israelites, to be saved. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Every day his heart was sore because so few Jews were getting saved. For I could wish myself accursed, separated from Christ. Who can say that? Who can say that? That I would allow myself to be totally cursed and separated from Christ if I could see my brethren coming to the Lord. That's that man's heart. That man's heart, that's Paul. And Paul said, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not lying. This is where I am. My conscience bears me witness. And he says, I'm telling the truth in Christ and I'm testifying in the Holy Spirit. That's how his heart was broken. If we want to see salvations, our heart needs to be broken. But our heart is a heart of stone. And it must be, as the scriptures say, taken out and put in a heart of flesh. And that only comes by spending time with the Lord and saying, Lord, let me see them with the love of Christ. Let me see them with the love of Christ. You know, I'm so used to people contacting me through all these things. And I said, Lord, nobody's contacted me this week. It was, it was, uh, it was Thursday and nobody, nobody had yet, uh, um, no, it was Wednesday. Nobody had yet contacted me. I said, Lord, 
am I going to go the whole week without this? Am I going to go the whole week? And then, then uh, um, it was, it was uh, 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 Thursday night, was it? It was either Wednesday night or Thursday night that I, I, God kept placing on my heart a, a postdoc who works for me. And I try to be careful with people who work for me because I never want to put pressure on them. You know, you work for me, you know, you, you got to receive. And so I, I always treat them very gingerly until they start really showing signs because I don't want there to be undue pressure upon them. You know, I'll, I'll witness to anybody, but if they work for me, I don't want them to have this pressure. But the Lord kept putting this guy on my heart. And, uh, I, and so... I said, okay, I'll take them to lunch on campus because on campus you're allowed to take your mask off on campus only if you're eating and uh, because they haven't figured out how, how you can keep your mask on while you're eating or else we'd have to keep our mask on for that too. And, and, uh, and so we, I took them out for lunch and we're sitting outside, separated, and, and, uh, and I brought my iPad and I'm giving them the gospel. And he's sitting there and he's, he's almost expressionless and I'm thinking... This is not going anywhere. The thoughts come, this, this is, nothing's happening. And then it comes back to me, oh, but I've got the best message. This message, it's doing its job. Even though he's expressionless, I know it's doing its job because this message of the gospel cannot fail because God wrote this message. I don't go in there with my own philosophies. I don't quote any philosophers. As Paul said, not with cleverness of speech. That's not how I do it. But I give them the gospel. And I gave them the gospel. And I said, we're going to pray now. And you're going to just pray this prayer with me and invite Jesus in your life. He goes, okay. We got done. We prayed. The guy was beaming. Just beaming. He said, that was, that was a great message. That was, that was a really good story. And I'm thinking... Well, I didn't write it. God wrote that story. This, this story, this message of the gospel is absolutely anointed. Here he says in verse 2 of, of Romans chapter 1, in, in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, it says, set apart for the gospel of God. I've been set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel message is not written by me. This gospel really works. It really works. It's not in cleverness of speech. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's just a powerful, powerful message that's, that's made for preaching the gospel. Um, look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. This is a great verse to remember for you young apologists who've got everything figured out and all the little things you've got to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Look what he says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ would not be made void. If I come with my little clever arguments, nothing happens. Nobody gets saved. I just stick to the gospel, the simple gospel. We are sinners. There's nothing we can do about that. And then Jesus died for us and took our sin upon him on the cross. He was buried. He was in the grave. And after three days, he rose again. And I've got a series of about six scripture verses that I bring people through. 
And then we always wrap up with Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the vast majority of people that I speak with on a weekly basis, they're highly educated, like this guy I just shared with, highly educated, PhD in chemistry, doing his postdoc. He went from not believing in the resurrection to believing in the resurrection in a 30-minute conversation. How can somebody believe in something as incredible, incredible as a human being being risen from the dead in a 30-minute conversation? And you may say, well, you know, he must have grown up in a Christian home. No, he grew up in an atheistic home. They go from not believing to believing in a 30-minute conversation. And I see it happen over and over again because I keep out all of my cleverness of speech. I don't use any fancy apologetics. I don't quote a single philosopher. I don't, you know, quote Hume and Kant and all of these people. I don't, no. I only preach the gospel and it works. That message works. And as I was talking to him, my faith just rose up. Even though he was absolutely expressionless, my faith rose up. Because I knew the message that I was preaching has power. This message has power. So in Romans chapter 1, when Paul says, He set me apart for the gospel of God. He set me apart for the gospel of God. I have been set apart for the gospel of God. That is my agenda. You want to know the agenda of Jim Tour is to see as many people saved as possible. I want to bring as many people with me to heaven as I possibly can. As you search out your gift, as you search out, Lord, what's, what, what place of service do you have for me? And I know you're a student, and students are busier than anyone in the world. I know that. In your student busyness, you need to be in a place of service in the body of Christ, whether that's in a campus group, serving in a campus group, and I know many of you do. God bless you in that where you're in a place where you're not just attending, but you're in a place of service, where, in other words, that place would be affected if you didn't show up. You need to be in a place of service, whether it's teaching the the Bible, teaching a little Bible study, you need to be in a place of service. And this whole thing of of this pandemic, this is is going away. Things are beginning to change. This is going to lift, so we can't use this as an excuse anymore. You get in a place of service, and you serve in the body of Christ. And everybody's different. But look how Jesus summed this thing up. He summed it up beautifully in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus sums this up. John chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus sums it up this way. I glorified you on earth. He's speaking to his Father. He said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. He has a work for each one of us here on earth. He's not asked us to accomplish all the stuff that Jesus accomplished. Jesus accomplished that. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do, Jesus said. Lord, may I glorify you on earth, by accomplishing the work that you have given me to do. God has given you a work to do that I can't do, that you will do better than anybody else. He's given you a gifting for that. May you accomplish the work that he has given you to do. 
everybody is different in their calling. Even within the same gift, they have different callings within that gift. You have something. May you accomplish the work that He has given you to do so that you can be about His work. Pray for this. Pray for this, that you'd have this place, that you would have a place to accomplish the work that He's given you to do. Then he goes on, he says, in verse 2 of Romans chapter 1, verse 2, which He promised beforehand through, this, through His Scriptures in the Holy Spirit concerning His Son. Which He promised beforehand through his, his prophecies in the Holy Scriptures. He promised beforehand through His prophecies in the Holy Scriptures. In this book of Romans, there are 61 Old Testament passages that are quoted. 61 in one book. It is just full of Old Testament passages. Paul is going to prove to us that in this book, in the Old Testament, when Paul is speaking about scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament. It wasn't yet written. Remember, he was just starting to write the book of Romans here. It was only in verse 2. It wasn't yet written. The New Testament wasn't yet written. He's speaking about the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. He's speaking about those. He says, in those scriptures, this was all prophesied. What I'm about to tell you about is prophesied. And 61 passages in this book of Romans are going to be snipped out of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And he said uh, beforehand, through his prophets, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son. Everything is about his son. That's why when I was teaching about Genesis, we kept going back to Jesus. We will always bring it back to Jesus because the Old Testament Scriptures are pointing toward His Son, the Son of God, the Old Testament Scriptures. And that's exactly what Paul is going to do. He is going to take the Old Testament Scriptures and lift passages right out and say, this was about the Son, and this was about Jesus, and this was about Jesus. Everything is pointing toward Jesus. All the prophets were pointing toward Jesus and the Son of God. In Jesus is embodied everything good, anything righteous, anything holy. It's all based in the Son of God. You cannot glorify Jesus enough. Forever and ever He shall be praised and glorified for what He has done, for the great work that He has done. Because everybody in heaven is only going to be there because of the work that Jesus has done. Because of His resurrection from the dead. It's all about His Son. Everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Verse 3, concerning His Son, who was born of the descendants of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared with power. It was declared with power by His resurrection from the dead. Brethren, our faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything in our faith is based upon His resurrection. And everything in the Old Testament was pointing toward His resurrection. In that resurrection, life from the dead. God is the one who creates life. People have never made life. God makes life. And God brought a life back from the dead. Dead three days in the grave, restored His life, the resurrection of the Son of God. That gives way for us to be saved. It is all pointing toward Him, the Son of God. Every good thing 
is embodied in the Son of God. Yes, He was born in the flesh as a descendant of David, through His mother Mary was a descendant of David, not through Solomon, because Solomon's line went right down to Jeconiah, the king Jeconiah. And Jeremiah prophesied, you are so wicked, no one from your descendants will ever sit upon the throne. Joseph's line was actually through the line of Jeconiah. Had Jesus been the physical son of Joseph, he would not have been able to sit on that throne. Jesus came through the line of Mary, which goes back to the line of David, but through David's other son, Nathan. David had another son, Nathan, and you can track that right back. It goes through Nathan, David's son, and it's through that line. And through Mary, he has the descendancy in the flesh through Mary that was needed for this. And then it says, in, in, and so those, those, that's in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter, chapter 4. And I covered that in the Chronological Life of the Messiah, Chronological Life of Jesus, which is a, a series on, on my website. And that's, that's right in the beginning of that series, we, we cover that. Every good thing we have is embodied in the Son of God. Everything good. We cannot worship Jesus enough. He is the most magnanimous of captains. He is the greatest, the greatest. If he asks us to carry a cross, he is carrying the heavier end. In everything, he is with us. In everything, it is the Son of God. We can never magnify him enough. It's all embodied in him and in the power of his resurrection. This is the message that we preach. This is the message that we preach. So all you young apologists who think that you need to learn all these fancy arguments to get people saved, you don't. I see people with PhDs getting saved almost every week through the simple message of the gospel. That's the message that God wrote. He wasn't quoting a bunch of philosophers. It's a very simple message, but it's anointed. It's a beautiful message. And this guy... He wrote to me an email after that. The next morning I got this email. He said, thank you for telling me that story. Now Jesus is in my life. You know, what do you do with that? You're like, I mean, forever, forever, this guy will be with Jesus. And he set up in a Bible study with some other Chinese brethren and, and, and just beautiful, beautiful, forever with Jesus. This is how you change lives. And as we're walking away from the Brockstein Pavilion, uh, he said, you've done this a lot. I said, oh yeah, you know so-and-so? They got saved right here in the same place. And so-and-so, they got saved here in the same place. So-and-so, they got saved right here in the same place. He says, that's a lot of lives. <laughs> God's, God's touching a lot of lives. A lot of lives. Can you tell us the sequence of verses that you typically say? Yeah, what, what, what verses do I go through? Yeah, I can give you that since we have a few minutes here. I will, I will, uh, I can, I can tell you what verses I go through here when I, when I, uh, when I take people through the gospel. No problem. And I, I have it, I have it, uh, on my computer. I have it both in English and I have it in, in Mandarin because I share with so many Chinese people. I, I have it where it's both in Mandarin and English, in the top English and underneath in Mandarin. So when they're, when they're, I, I want them to be able to speak it in, the, in their native language. So the first, the first one is, is uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And first, 
And, and, and I've noticed that I have to establish first that they're sinners. And when people don't get saved, very often it's because they haven't recognized yet they're, that they're sinners. So I have other verses I can tell you about that, that nail everybody. We can go over that in a minute. So Romans 3.23, and then the next one is Matthew 5.28. And Matthew 5.28. And this one is more based around my own testimony. It's, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I get every young man with that one. I get them. Boom. They're gone. You know, they, they cannot, they're not free from that one. And I tell them, that's the one that got me. That's the one that got me. Every young man is hit by this. Older men are not. I've, got, I've had older men, they read this, it doesn't, you know, they, they, they can't remember what it was like. Um, so Matthew 5, 28. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then the next one is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. And I, and I, I go over that, over that with them, and we discuss it. We discuss it. And I'll spend like two or three minutes on each one of these verses. And then Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is a demonstration of His love. He doesn't just say it. And then Romans 10.9. So this is the crescendo, Romans 10.9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's Romans 10.9. And then I talk about how God came into my life. I personalize this. The night on November 7th, 1977, how he had come into my life. And then, then I bring them to Isaiah 43.25, the verse I told you last week, which Charles Spurgeon said is the most powerful verse in evangelism. For Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So we talk about the resurrection and the evidence for the resurrection. I go through that with them, the evidence, the historical evidence for the resurrection. Bring them to Isaiah 43:25. When I see their eyes start to water on Isaiah 43:25, I know that in a few minutes they're about to be saved. And then bring them right back. I close with Romans 10.9 again. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. And it's there that I pray with them. That's all I share. That's, now, if they don't receive the gospel, if they don't receive the gospel, that's because they have not recognized their sinners. And so I read them two verses. We, we look at two verses on that. One is 1 Corinthians 6. 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And that's where the Bible just just lists uh, 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 people that, that uh, are not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then there's, there's, there's another list here. Um, uh, where is this? this? The, the, the get, get, this gets the old guys. All right? So, so you want to you know what gets the old guys? The, the, okay, here. Revelation 21, 8 gets the older guys. Revelations 21.8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And so I say, have you ever told a lie? Ever? And I had one of well, little ones. Oh, he got you. All liars. It says all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. All liars. But my lie was just a little lie. No hope for you. There's no hope for you. And then we talk about the fire and what it's going to look like and what hell's going to look like. So that, that's it. That's it. And, uh, but those are the verses. But 
that's methodology. And what I've learned is everybody want, thinks that they can follow the methodology and they'll see the same results. And that's not what it is. If you read, the, if you read George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, there's nothing about methodology. It's all about the heart. When you can really weep for the lost and, and uh, when, you, when you can say that my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. It's when the heart's desire is coupled to the prayer of salvation. That's when you see salvations. It is not the methodology. I went through so many evangelism courses all my life, they never changed anything. It's when my heart was fixed like this, my heart's desire got coupled to my prayer, and that I could weep for the lost. That's when you see it. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. The power, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of his resurrection. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for rising from the dead and taking us to be with you. Thank you, Lord, for salvation in you. Every good gift, every good thing is embodied in Jesus Christ. Every good thing that we have from God is embodied in our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to your name forever and ever. You deserve praise and glory and honor. Father, thank you for sending your Son. Lord Jesus, thank you for the work that you've done on the cross. And Father, for those here who do not know you, Lord, I pray that their hearts would open up, that they could be saved, that their hearts would open up so that they could be saved. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, bring in more, bring in more. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people, that I might do everything for the sake of the gospel, that I may spend and be expended for your souls. Lord, that I would speak forth your word, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Father, that I would preach the gospel, the simple gospel message that you have. Lord, that's what this man Paul preached. Glory be to your name. Glory be to your name. And Lord, I pray for the others on this call and in this room. Father, that they would search for the place of service in the body of Christ, to walk in their place of gifting. Lord, you have a place for them to serve, whether it's working with children or with the high school students or with youth or whatever it is, serving on a college campus, serving in, in the worship ministries, Lord, whatever it is, Father, begin to open that up, that they would serve you and things would begin to open up. Lord, your blessing, your blessing abound, your grace abound upon them, that you would raise up many to serve in the body of Christ. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be more like you. It is so good to follow in your example, Lord Jesus. You are the best in every way. Glory be to your name. Amen.